Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugel saying welcome to the night spot here, bringing good trouble to the right wing bubble. We have a lot of ground to cover. We have a lot of Michigas to make sense of. We have some terrific guests on the show tonight. Chris Hauselt's our executive producer, running this thing from South Carolina. The great Thea Harper manages this beast from our studios over there in Brooklyn. And I'm John Fugel saying it's so good to have you with us. Yeah, good show tonight. Amy Littlefield of The Nation is here. To talk about what it's like for all the pro-life conventions one year after Roe v. Wade uh, and what it's like inside the mind of the dog that caught that truck. A um, couple of things. We got a great Fourth of July special coming up that I hope y'all will listen to. Um, Congresswoman Susan Wild joins us and we talk about so many different issues but from tech hubs in the Lehigh Valley, child care for working families, all the great drug pricing measures she helped get in the Inflation Reduction Act. She's a really smart Democrat from a very competitive red and blue district who keeps getting reelected and knows how to have policies that help working people that also appeal to Republican voters. She's super smart. We'll be joined by Kenneth C. Davis, the great historian and author of Don't Know Much About History. Also, uh, Professor Eli Merritt of the of Vanderbilt University, his book is called Disunion Among Ourselves, The Perilous Politics of the American Revolution. It's a fantastic book all about how in the Revolutionary War days, everybody hated each other. No one trusted each other. We weren't really as united as we said we were. We couldn't stand each other, but we had to come together for the good of all. It's happened a few times in our country's history, but I had no idea how disunified we were. And then Kelly Richmond Pope, who is um, a professor of forensic accounting at DePaul University in Chicago. Her book is called Fool Me Once, Scams, Stories and Secrets from the Billion Dollar Fraud Industry. It is a riveting look at the perpetrators and the victims and the whistleblowers behind financial crimes. I hope you'll tune in for that. It's a great Fourth of July special. 
for now, <laughs> let's talk about what happened today. And I want to hear what your thoughts are and what your feelings are. And it's okay if they're mixed. Let's do a show. Today, affirmative action for white people is safe. That's the takeaway, right? I'm watching a lot of academics. I'm watching a lot of pundits. I'm watching a lot of politicians. Give us a lot of oratory about what this means. But affirmative action for white people is safe is my one takeaway. And my second takeaway is um, they just decided we don't need to protect African-Americans in college admissions. That's all it's about. We don't need to look out for black folks in college admissions. They're going to say, though, Asian students and race reverse race. No, 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 no. It's about none of that has nothing to do with Asian people. There were no Asian students involved with filing this case. This is affirmative action for white people is safe. And we don't need to do anything to protect African-Americans in college admissions. Ten years after aristocrat at birth John Roberts decided the black president means there's no more racism and gutted the Voting Rights Act, that same aristocrat at birth John Roberts decided today we don't need to protect African-Americans in college admissions. This country is going to be minority white by 2045. And, and that's what you also have to remember. Because that number, 2045, it's driving a lot of policy. It's driving lots of policy. Abortion, immigration, affirmative action. White people are going to become a minority. In 22 years, we are projected to be only 22 years. They're going after abortion. They're going after immigration. Affirmative action. It all comes back to that issue. I'm not saying that's the primary issue, but it's a factor. Clarence Thomas said they might go after birth control. They want more white people. And they want white people to hang on to controlling the levers of power in the society for many decades after they have ceased to be the dominant ethnic class. So affirmative action. It's using race as one factor of many to admit students with the intent of giving minorities a boost and promoting the diversity on your campus. Most schools like this. At the eight Ivy League universities, the number of non-white students went up from uh, 27% in 2010 to 35% 11 years later. That includes Asian, Black, Hispanic, Native American, Pacific Islander, and biracial students. Nine states already have laws against any consideration of race and admissions. And the end of affirmative action is, uh, you know, a higher drop. It's, it's, it's higher education in California, Michigan, Washington state. And when those states ended affirmative action, there was a steep drop in minority enrollment in all of the public universities in those states. The other states are Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Nebraska, New Hampshire, and Oklahoma. Doesn't affect those states. In 2020, California voters easily rejected a ballot measure to bring back affirmative action. And let me begin by saying affirmative action is not the hot-button issue that Roe v. Wade is. And it's not something that Americans, even Democrats, necessarily feel passionately about anymore. There was a poll last month by the Associated Press that showed 63% of adults said the court should allow colleges to consider race as part of the admissions process, but few believe students' race should ultimately play a major role in decisions. Because it doesn't. No one's going to accept an unqualified student to flunk out at their university because they're the right color for this year's Benetton rainbow. Pew Research Center survey released last week found half Americans disapprove of considerations of applicants' race, a third approve. But again... This happened today because of the labors of one man, and he's not Asian. 
conservative legal activist Edward Blum. You may have seen him on TV. He deserved to be famous. He was behind a number of earlier challenges, including that challenge against the University of Texas and the case that led the court in 2013 to end that use of the key provision of the Voting Rights Act. Same guy screwing over black people 10 years ago because there's no more racism trying to do the same thing now. This guy Blum, nine years ago, formed Students for Fair Admissions. Mr. Blum is not a student, uh, but he filed lawsuits against both of these schools in 2014. And the group is arguing, Students for Fair Admissions, this guy Blum, that the Constitution forbids the use of race in college admissions, and it called for overturning all earlier Supreme Court decisions that ever said otherwise. I mean, if you look behind the curtain of any laws against affirmative action in the last couple of decades, you'll find this guy. He actually started looking for plaintiffs to challenge UT's admissions policies after his last case failed. He literally is on tape saying, I've got to get some Asians because his cases with white students didn't work. This is a white man who files anti-affirmative action lawsuits and has been doing it for years. None of the plaintiffs in these cases that were ruled on today, Harvard and UNC, none of the plaintiffs have actually revealed their identity. All the arguments regarding Asian people and their discrimination, they are 100% alleged. It's this guy, Edward Blum. Republicans have been cherry-picking Asians against affirmative action, and today they achieved some real political gains for it. This guy has spent decades using white students to reverse affirmative action. It didn't work. He began recruiting Asians. And by the way, it's not going to help. What happened today will not result and a single additional Asian admitted to Harvard. I mean, and by the way, if you think affirmative action is bad and it lets unqualified people into prestigious schools, wait till you hear about legacy admissions. Those are safe. I want to play a quick tape of uh, President Lyndon Johnson giving the commencement address at Howard University in 1965. This is a very quick little clip where he offers the moral case for what we call affirmative action policies. Freedom is not enough. You do not wipe away the scars of centuries by saying now, you are free to go where you want and do as you desire and choose the leaders you please. You do not take a person who for years has been hobbled by chains and liberate him, bringing up to the starting line of a race and then say, you are free to compete with all the others and still justly believe that you have been completely fair. Thus, it is not enough just to open the gates of opportunity. All our citizens must have the ability to walk through those gates. And this is the next and the more profound stage of the battle for civil rights. We seek not just freedom, but opportunity. We seek not just legal equity, but human ability. Not just equality as a right and a theory, but equality as a fact and equality as a result. Equality as a result. That's President Lyndon Johnson speaking at Howard University 58 years ago. Look, you know why we had to have affirmative action? Because stupid white kids got into college 
over more qualified people of color. That's, you know, and people of color also never had the support culturally and historically that wealthy white kids got that could help them get into college. They still don't. But college was the only place left where their white guy card wouldn't be enough. You know, it's still legacies. (laughs) Unremarkable rich kids whose parents donate to the universities they graduated from will get in. Affirmative action for Jared, but not for thee. Because Jared Kushner's daddy can pay Jared's way in. Legacy students, the long line of mediocre, rich, white kids benefiting from systemic racism that our common ancestors helped create. But God forbid a school considers race. Schools need these legacy kids because they mean donations. Edward Blum knows that. And that's why he tried to go Asians versus black and brown people. So the Supreme Court did not strike down affirmative action admission preferences for legacies or donors or employee family members or special recommendations. The court struck down affirmative action for everyone except white people. I'm not outraged. It wasn't a shock. It's not a surprise. It's nothing new. This court has twice upheld race-conscious college admissions programs in the past 20 years, including 2016. But that was before... Donald Trump ran for president and came in second and got to put three Supreme Court justices on the bench anyway. And all six conservative justices expressed doubt about affirmative action last fall. It's been upheld under so many decisions going back to the late 70s. And the lower courts had upheld the programs at UNC and Harvard. They rejected these claims that, oh, these schools are discriminating against white people and Asian people. It's reverse racism. Idiot. Idiot. Moron. Reverse racism means being nice to people who don't look like you. Your bus is leaving. So (laughs) Mr. Blum's group is saying these colleges can use other race neutral ways to have a more diverse student body. You know, uh, focus on socioeconomic status and eliminate the preference for children. They're going to have to do that. (laughs) The schools have all said they use race in a limited way. But that eliminating, even considering someone's race, because your school might want to have a population that looks like America, that's going to make it much harder to ever have a student body that looks like America. And that's part of the goal. Today, the Supreme Court, on a widely anticipated ruling, struck down college admission programs that take race into consideration when selecting which applicants to admit. And they forbade institutions of higher ed to look for new ways. Uh, to, to, to ever let race be a factor, and they demand institutions of higher ed have to now achieve diverse student bodies some other way. They pretty much overturned every case going back 45 years in invalidating the admission programs at Harvard and University of North Carolina. Those are America's oldest private and public colleges. This will decrease diversity in colleges and universities. And that's the goal. This will eventually decrease diversity in the professional world. And that's the goal. Joe Biden was asked about this on TV. He said this is not a normal court. He made a statement right after SCOTUS got an affirmative action. Here, he corrects myths perpetrated about the practice now banned from use in college admissions and more. Here's the president. Because affirmative action is so misunderstood, I want to be clear, make sure everybody's clear about what the law has been and what it has not been until today. Many people wrongly believe that affirmative action allows unqualified students, unqualified students to be admitted ahead of qualified students. This is not, this is not how college admissions work. Rather, colleges set out standards for admission, and every student, every student has to meet those standards. 
Then and only then, after first meeting the qualifications required by the school, do colleges look at other factors in addition to their grades, such as race. The way it works in practice is this. Colleges first establish a qualified pool of candidates based on meeting certain grade, test scores, and other criteria. Then and only then, then and only then, it is from this pool of applicants, all of whom have already met the school standards, that the class is chosen after weighing a wide range of factors, among them being race. So what happens now? Tons of court challenges to previous rulings, substantial drops in underrepresented minority representation in the next admission cycle. Racial diversities will be even more pronounced. There will be a drop in black and Latino enrollment. And that'll eventually trickle into a a lack of black and Latino representation in many professional fields, law, medicine, business. (laughs) It's 2045. Again, abortion, immigration, they want white people to stay in control longer. And affirmative action for white people safe. This country was built on affirmative action for white males. Every system we know, every system we rely on to live and function as a culture was built to accommodate white guys. 2045 is driving this. Our federal institutions, our legal system, it's all being corrupted by white supremacists, white nationalists, and these federalist society fascist motherfuckers who abuse, abuse their privilege, and use our laws against us. I mean, students will now be allowed to write about their lived experiences with race in their application essays. But again, you know, just Clarence Thomas, he couldn't be happier about this. He said that uh, the decision sees the university's admissions policies for what they are, rudderless race-based preferences. I think it's kind of stupid to think that the United States is a colorblind society. But people who are very invested in never addressing systemic racism are very invested in pretending we're colorblind. Sonia Sotomayor wrote a dissent that was great, rolls back decades of precedent, momentous progress. Uh, She said the court subverts the constitutional guarantee of equal protection by further entrenching racial inequality in education, the very foundation of our democratic government. Ignoring race will not equalize a society that is racially unequal. Equality requires acknowledgement of inequality damn damn and then there's katanji brown jackson who had to sit out the harvard case you know why because she had been a member once of an advisory governing board for harvard so she recused herself because that's what honest non-corrupt supreme court justices do in cases like this you've probably heard her quote already it'll be one for the history books with let them eat cake obliviousness today the majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat but deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life and having so detached itself from this country's actual past and present experiences the court has now been lured into interfering with the crucial work that unc and other institutions of higher learning are doing to solve america's real world problem (laughs) Six to three in North Carolina, six to two in the Harvard case. Uh, and Manny Gandhi said, Justice Jackson says the decision is not based in fact or law. And she's right. It's based on vibes, vibes about a colorblind society that never and has never existed. Now, you'll notice again, the Supreme Court did not ban gender consciousness in college admissions, says Ellie Mistal, nor did it ban legacy consciousness, wealth consciousness, geographic consciousness or athletic consciousness, race and only race is the thing the conservatives don't want colleges and universities to look at because race is the card white people use that never gets declined. 
This man Blum bamboozled people into thinking Asians were either killing affirmative action or they were the victims of it. He had a narrative, but this guy's been trying to kill affirmative action for a long time. He used Asian people. <laughs> and again, this is all about the belief that we don't need to protect African-Americans in college admissions. That's it. The court said today, you can't remedy race-based inequality because if you fix racism, it'll be racist. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. <laughs> uh, a Twitter user named Red Peppa Flake wrote, Literally no Asians were involved. Just a boring white dude named Edward Blum who knew how to play the POC versus POC card. I'm over it, man. <laughs> um, now, look, again, if Asian people are being scored unfairly to get into Harvard, if they really do have a de facto Asian tax, if Asian American applicants have to score 140 points higher than white students, if that's true, it's wrong. It's unjust. It's a fucked up policy. It should be stricken away. But again, there were no Asian people bringing this case. This white guy brought this case to try to get it thrown out, and they used it to throw out all of these advancements. So all the colleges came out and opposed it. The Harvard president said, we will continue to be a vibrant community whose members come from all walks of life all over the world. The only institutions of higher education you might notice that were left out of this ruling? The nation's military academies. And that's the beauty of their evil. John Roberts explicitly exempts military academies from the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. You know why? They have distinct interests. Yeah, in light of the potentially distinct interests that military academies may present. Because of that, he argues, oh, well, in this case, you know, affirmative action is okay. Again, affirmative action, it's unconstitutional, it's bad, it has no benefit, but it's really important the military keep on recruiting brown people. It's literally the message he sent. Congressman Jason Crow said, this decision is deeply upsetting, but outright grotesque for exempting military academies. The court is saying diversity shouldn't matter, except when deciding who can fight and die for our country, reinforcing the notion that these communities can sacrifice for America, but not be full participants in every other way. And he's exactly right. Barack Obama said affirmative action allowed generations of students like Michelle and me to prove we belonged. Now, last year, by the way, two Democrats, Jamal Bowman of New York and Jeff Merkley of Oregon, introduced the Fair College Admissions for Students Act. I'd like to have this be mentioned in the media more. It would have banned any legacy admissions at any schools that participate in federal student aid programs. Never caught on. I think the time has come. This country was founded on the largest genocide in world history. 400 years of slavery. And it was white men, many of whom I like. I was raised by one. But it was white guys who designed every system we know. Policing, wealth, education, healthcare, banking, housing, the legal system. And a study two years ago found 43% of white students in Harvard were legacies, athletes, or related to donors and staff. 43%. 75% of those people would not be admitted otherwise. This ruling... <laughs> it's just anti-black, folks. It's just anti-black. The kids of white Harvard students who donate will still get legacy rides. And people with more privileged backgrounds will get better benefits because they'll have tutors and better schools and more resources. The right wing is on a crusade to eliminate all the progress we've made on racial issues in the last 60 years. But they messed with young people today, just like Roe v. Wade. And they'll find out. Now, how does this play out in 2024? Most likely not going to be mentioned too much. Democrats are going to stay away from this one. But it's going to be very fascinating seeing what happens down the road. 
by the way, this case that was struck down today, it's kind of interesting to think about. The Chief Justice and Jackson got their degrees from Harvard. Gorsuch and Kagan, they went to law school at Harvard. Every U.S. college and university these justices went to, except one, was against this. Urged the court to preserve race-conscious admissions. Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Notre Dame, and Holy Cross joined briefs in defense of Harvard and UNC's admission plans. Only Amy Coney Barrett's undergrad, Rhodes College in Tennessee, would not get involved. So let me just say, those guys who paid for all those six-figure vacations sure got their money's worth when they brought the Supreme Court. Affirmative action is good. It's useful. It's a temporary tool. Yes, it's a corrective tool to make real progress. Maybe we as a culture have used affirmative action as an excuse to avoid any real efforts to get rid of the systemic racism that's the core problem here. But as we put this issue to bed, remember, five of the six Supreme Court justices who struck down affirmative action in Harvard and UNC admissions, five of the six were appointed by presidents the majority of U.S. voters voted against. And the sixth was appointed by a president who opposed the 1964 Civil Rights Act. This isn't the end of the world, but never forget what it's really about. Quick break. When we come back, your calls and Amy Littlefield of the nation. This is Progress. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. And welcome back. So this weekend, five Republican presidential hopefuls, including uh, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, are going to be speaking at an event run by a charming little American group best known for book bans and uh, screaming at people at school board meetings, the Moms for Liberty. Uh, they've been labeled an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. The Indiana chapter just made headlines for quoting Hitler on the front page of their newspaper, like you do. And they have joined the growing ranks of right wing people who just think Robert Kennedy Jr. is fabulous. Now, if you can't make it to the big convention, don't worry. Our next guest 
Well, she's paying for our sins. Amy Littlefield is the abortion access correspondent for The Nation. She's a contributor to Body Politics, the nation's blockbuster special issue one year after Dobbs. The fight for body autonomy belongs to all of us. Her recent features include the abortion borderland and the anti-abortion movement gets a dose of post-row reality out now on the nation's new and might I say really gorgeous redesigned website uh, coming to us live from Moms for Liberty's National Conference in Philadelphia. It's a pleasure to welcome back the great Amy Littlefield. Hi, John. It's great to be back with you. And can I just say, I'm very grateful for some rational uh, company right now. After really? Come from this convention. I, I, I Listen, I, I think you know I come from an abnormally Christian background. I was raised by right. ex-clergy, and um, I've spent a lot, a lot of time with these folks who uh, love Jesus so much, but can't get around to reading what he actually taught in that book and believe that it's all about putting women in jail. Um, what's it like so far? I'm sure you're just in registration daytime. Right. Right. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I've only been sort of hanging around, um, you know, getting my credentials and and touring the exhibit halls and and waiting for things to really kick off tomorrow when the presidential candidates start arriving. Um, But I'll say, you know, the reason I was interested in attending this summit to begin with is that I went to, you know, the the anti-abortion events marking the first anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade last Mm -hmm. week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was one presidential candidate at the Students for Life rally in D.C. And, of course, that was Mike Pence, who's, you know, vying to be the anti-abortion movement's uh, candidate. Of course. Um, yes. Certainly they love him. I don't know if enough other Republicans do for him to have a shot. But, <laughs> um, but you know, it really caught my attention that this event from a much newer organization, of course, you know, Moms for Liberty compared to organizations like National Right to Life that have been around since the late 60s, you know, a relatively newcomer um, to the Christian right uh, space. And yet they're attracting, you know, Ron DeSantis, you know, former President Donald Trump, uh, Nikki Haley, you know, and, and so this seems to be the place to be and really sort of where the future of the Republican Party is headed. And I noticed a parallel, you know, in the anti-abortion space where, you know, groups are reckoning with the fact that their ideas are deeply unpopular among Americans overall, there's Mm. a real sense that sort of the fringe has become the mainstream. Um, And I think that seems to be true in the Republican Party. It seems to be true in the Christian right. And so I'm interested in sort of the way that the, the sort of groups that have been around, you know, organizers that have been around for half a century in in the Christian right space are intersecting with this sort of new momentum around school board races. Yeah. I mean, what do we know about Moms for Liberty? They seem to have really sprung up really fast. And somehow I suspect that they're not actually run by too many moms and that they're not really all that focused on actual liberty. Right. I mean, you know, what's what's super interesting about the Moms for Liberty is I, I see some parallels to sort of like the Tea Party, right, back yeah. a decade or more ago totally. at this point, where it was seen as this like grassroots, you know, from the bottom up. And then it turned out that, in fact, there was a whole lot of, you know, Koch brothers money that was flooding into it. There was an agenda that preceded the foundation of, of this, you know, uprising itself. And, you know, with Moms for Liberty, we have to remember one of the co-founders is married to the head of the Florida Republican Party, right? Yeah. Um, so there's institutional ties to, to the Republican Party right there. 
Um, and, you know, in the tradition of a lot of um, groups in, in the conservative space, I mean, Phyllis Schlafly and the Eagle Forum, of course, with right. their fight against the Equal Rights Amendment, Concerned Women for America, you know, we're seeing this attempt to sort of rebrand conservative ideas with, you know, women. I mean, which is not to say, of course, there are women in this space. I've been I've been hanging out at the hotel. I've seen plenty of women. And okay. um, but but I think that does give the sort of impression that they're harmless, that they're, you know, they're sort of capitalizing on stereotypes about women. Um, and, you know, I even overheard a conversation among two women who are in front of me. Of course, there are protesters who um Philadelphia is such a diverse um, city, right? And people here are really not having the fact that this uh, summit has come to their city. And so yeah. there are protesters outside the, the hotel where this is taking place. And I overheard two women in front of me saying, can you believe, can you imagine protesting a group like this? I mean, we're just a bunch of nice ladies. Um, and, and they're calling us a hate group. You know, we're just a bunch of nice ladies. And so I think right. that sort of does lend an element of, of plausible deniability there to a group that really is formidable. Absolutely. And of course, I'm sure it feels that way on the inside. And I'm sure that they like the people they like very much. But this is still the group that's having Oath Keepers talk. This is still the group that just had a chapter quoting Hitler. Um, this is, you know, still the group that's been labeled an extremist group. And I'm, I'm curious what the scene is like outside, because you mentioned the hotel. I know it's at the Marriott in Philly, and I've seen so many protests, uh, people angrily tweeting at the Marriott, wondering why they're featuring this group and, and a lot of folks outside. Has there been any of that so far where you've been? There were a handful of protesters there when everyone was boarding a bus to go to this museum where there was a ceremony, an opening reception happening tonight. And I tried to get on the bus and was told I'm not allowed I'm told there are 133 journalists registered for this event. I imagine the, you know, chance to hear some of the big presidential contenders on the Republican side in person is the reason why. Um, but we're not being allowed into any of the sessions, apparently, apart from the big speakers. Um, the big, you know, presidential contenders are not letting us into the strategy sessions or uh, the <laughs> opening reception. Um, hmm. So, but there were, there were protesters shouting shame, you know, pointing out that there have been other examples in, in American history where people have tried to rewrite the facts of American history, which I think is, is a major part of the, the Moms for Liberty project. I went around in the empty exhibit hall collecting as much of the materials as I could. I saw a lot of stuff about, you know, propaganda against teachers unions, against sort of the the concept of public schools and secular education at all, right? Um, some mm. how-to guides on how to get rid of critical race theory and how to get rid of transgenderism, quote-unquote, in schools. And so I think, um, and, and even some quotes from Gramsci about, uh, you know, the, the radical potential of, of education. So, uh, you know, they're quoting him too, not just Adolf Hitler. So it's quite, a, <laughs> quite an experience. I imagine it's I got the vibe from reading your recent piece in The Nation that it's pretty different from what you experienced at the National Right to Life Convention this last Absolutely. weekend. I, Absolutely. I've always found this group really fascinating. I always thought, like, why didn't the Democrats get Michael Bloomberg to give a billion dollars to those guys to split the ticket? <laughs> We're always seeing someone stakehorsing a third party liberal in the Green Party to split the Democrats. But no one ever wants to throw a billion over to Right to Life Party to run Mike Pence as a third party candidate. Um, based on your excellent piece about the anti-abortion movement getting a dose of post-Roe reality, it kind of feels like uh, the, the dog that caught the truck. 
Yeah, you know, it's really fascinating because a year after the Dodds decision, you might expect they would be, you know, reveling in their victory, right? I mean, it's astounding what they achieved in overturning Roe v. Wade. And it took, you know, it was the life's work of many of these movement's leaders. Um, for example, James Bopp, who, you know, is has been a behind-the-scenes power player in the Republican Party um, through his role being the general counsel of National Right to Life since 1978, and he still holds that wow. role. And as he was trying to gain influence for the anti-abortion cause within the Republican Party, he realized there were some pesky campaign finance rules that were standing in his way. And so he designed another incremental plan to take those down. And that, of course, culminated in Citizens United, you know, the Supreme Court decision that transformed U.S. elections uh, by allowing corporations to donate, you know, unlimited amounts of cash. And so Mm -hmm. um, he's a hugely important figure. He gives a, a panel at National Right to Life every Every year. Sometimes it can be pretty technical and boring. Um, but this year, you know, he really seemed to be using it to, to, to give a wake up call um, to the affiliates of National Right to Life and to say, look, the abortion bans that you've all passed, you know, many of which were written before the Dobbs decision and designed to take effect right away and ban abortion entirely, they're not working. Um, Mm. And he said he would have expected about 300,000 fewer abortions after the Dobbs Supreme Court ruling overturned Roe v. Wade. And in fact, a survey from the Society for Family Planning had just found that in the nine months after Dobbs, the number of abortions had dropped by about 25,000. And when he said that number in this room full of of anti-abortion activists, someone whistled. I mean, it was just like... Stunned silence. And so um, because they expected the number to be so much higher. Exactly. They expected it to be so much higher. And I think, you know, of course, I don't want to minimize that number at all, because every person who needs an abortion and can't get it is a human rights tragedy that our country should be ashamed of. And, of course, the people who are not getting that access are people who are low income, who are facing many barriers and struggles in their life to begin with. Right. But I do think it's a testament to the incredible power of grassroots abortion funds and organizations that are working, you know, behind the scenes and and openly as well when it comes to clinics and and abortion funds to get people to, you know, support them with traveling, to get abortion pills into people's hands through through back channels. And so uh, what James Bopp was proposing as a solution was basically you need to ramp up your enforcement of these laws with some really draconian, never before seen measures. And the way that we're going to do that and distract people is by using a red herring of rape and incest exceptions. Um, and so that was sort of the, the proposal that he had and what I think we can expect to see in some of these red states that have um, total abortion bans or heavy abortion restrictions moving forward. Well, I mean, you write that, um, after all, rape and incest have become a PR problem for anti-abortion leaders. Karen Cross acknowledged only 10 percent of people agree with National Right to Life Committee's ideal of banning abortions in cases of rape or incest. She said, we have not moved the needle on rape and incest in 50 years. My God, the humanity. My God, the lack of awareness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's. It is. It's really um, stunning. Right. I mean, they the position and this is not just national right to life. And it's interesting because 
within the anti-abortion space, of course, national right to life is seen as, you know, they're a moderate group, right? They're the incremental group. They're the, you know, <laughs> um, and, and yet, of course, their position is the same as anyone in the anti-abortion movement. When, when they say the quiet part out loud, what they'll tell you is that they don't believe in exceptions for rape or incest. And so to the extent that those exceptions are used, they're used as a, as a PR tactic, as a way to get through um, anti-abortion laws and appeal to a public that, that vehemently disagrees with them. I mean, these are their own numbers, right, that, that only 10 percent of people uh, believe that, that rape and incest victims should be forced to carry pregnancies to term, which, you know, sort of makes me nauseous to even say out loud. But, um, but that's where we are. And, they want to um, lose more yeah. elections, don't they? I mean, they just want to <laughs> keep on losing elections over this. Right. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, the year since Dobbs has brought, you know, six ballot initiatives related to abortion, all of which went to the abortion rights side. Right. Including in red states like Kansas and Kentucky. And we've talked about that before. Um, It's brought, you know, the Wisconsin state Supreme Court election that went for the pro-choice candidate. Um, Time after time, we're seeing that people are outraged over Dobbs. And guess what? They're not forgetting about it. Mm-hmm. They're not. I mean, the 2022 midterms, you know, I mean, we, John Fetterman is in the Senate right now. You know, it's I mean, we could go on and on about Kansas, for God's sakes, Kansas showing up in a special election. Young people showing up in an off off year election in Wisconsin to vote on a Supreme Court judge. I mean, it's astonishing how, yes, they've managed to get the practice banned in 13 states. Yes, so much of the country is now without care. But wow, between the activists and and the providers, there is such a network of access and of protest. I mean, that's the other side of this story, isn't it? The fact that that the resistance has never been stronger. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. There was a small rally in Washington, D.C., Um, hosted by the Women's March on the Dobbs anniversary. But a lot of the abortion rights activists that I spoke to were saying, we're busy doing something else. (laughs) And a lot of them were focused on what's going on in their community, what's going on at the state level. You know, I talked, for example, to Kimberly Inez McGuire, who's the, the director of URGE, a reproductive justice organization. She said, look, I'm going to Ohio. I'm going to be there because they've got a ballot initiative um, campaign coming up um, for, you know, abortion rights in that state. And so what Ohio Republicans in this very heavily Republican gerrymandered state are trying to do is they're trying to make it harder to pass ballot initiatives and mm. in the state. And so we see this sort of anti-democracy backlash to the, to the dawning realization that abortion rights are popular. And so that's sort of going to be, I think, the next big indicator is this August special election in Ohio where, you know, and, and you know, gathering Ohio abortion rights supporters are gathering petition signatures to, to get this issue on the ballot in that state as well. So so I think the work is really in the states. And, and you know, we've talked about this before, John, but it's taken progressives a long time to catch on <laughs> to the significance of state and local politics, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm saying this as I'm at I mean, a, a uh, summit that's all about school board races. Um, right. But, but let's, but be, on, let's be honest. Uh, affir- affirmative action got gutted today because of all the right. guys without uteruses who were too pure in three swing states to vote for Hillary Clinton in 2016. I mean, it matters on every level, and and where you're standing proves it. Um, can I can I ask one uh, awkward question? Uh, 
Um, (laughs) What do you what do you take from the fact that you've got five Republican presidential campaigners coming to uh, the Moms for Liberty event and zero Republican presidential contenders showed up for the National Right to Life convention this year? Right. I mean, and I should say the convention organizers at National Right to Life told me that, you know, they are taking a year off from PAC stuff. They're taking a year off from that stuff, you know, maybe next year. Then, um, but they're having the convention so, anyway. They're they're having the right, convention right. anyway. They're, they're still having their convention. I mean, they've always been a, an organization that is very focused on state policy. And so they understand. And in fact, the executive director of National Right to Life told me he had just taken over. He's a new executive director. He had let go of eight national staff. And he said they're really going to be reinvesting on state work and especially on defeating pro-choice ballot initiatives. But, you know, I I think that's why I'm here to try to find that out. Hmm. Right. I think part of it is that Republicans seem to be realizing that abortion may not be, you know, fighting to make abortion harder to access may not be the winning issue they thought it was, (laughs) because it turns out that, you know, across the partisan spectrum for Republicans, independents and Democrats, there is broad support for abortion rights. And I think in the wake of the Dobbs decision, Republicans are sort of running from this issue. And some, I mean, you have exceptions, of course. Mike Pence showed up to a rally, the, the banner headline of which was about demanding personhood for fertilized eggs under the 14th Amendment. OK, so I think he'll mm-hmm. always be the exception there. But I think perhaps for others, that's that's not the case. And I think what we're really seeing, we've seen this in some of the messaging, for example, in Ohio, that there's this attempt to tie abortion and anti-trans messaging together because anti-trans, which is really Moms for Liberty, you know, they're trying to get rid of gender-affirming care in this really aggressive um, way and, and starting, you know, at the school and curriculum level. Um, I think there's a sense of momentum building behind that because it's seen as, as maybe more of a winning issue. And so I think that's something we really need to keep an eye on. Amy Littlefield is the abortion access correspondent for The Nation. And my God, I love your stuff so much. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Amy Littlefield. I will be doing my best to uh, update from the Moms for Liberty Summit tomorrow as DeSantis and Trump roll in. And of course, at thenation.com and their beautifully redesigned website. And please check out the special issue there. There's so much great uh, material about the first anniversary of the Dobbs decision brilliant thank you so much it's always a great pleasure come back and see us again soon thank you john we're gonna have a quick break we'll be right back with your calls guys we're at 866-997-4748 and i got some time to listen to you now this is progress don't go away delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. 
No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I'm John Fiegel saying this is progress. Hello to Mary in Tennessee. Hi, John. Thanks hey, Mary. Thank you for taking my call. And thank you. Thank you for that great segment with Amy. Was She's really, great. I really enjoyed listening to that. So I was calling. I just kind of have this idea that I've been, that's been like niggling. I was wondering, what if the Democrats were to introduce a embryonic personhood bill where products of conception would qualify for a Social Security number, uh, child tax credit, earned income credit. They could be covered mm. by life insurance. Uh, mm. Pregnant uh, immigrant could not be de- deported because she's carrying a citizen. Uh, they qualify for a house a dependent for things like SNAP and and tennis and and Medicaid and. I think uh, I love the idea. I'd be terrified to see what would happen after Republicans got their way stripping things from the bill and just made it just a rights restriction. But yeah, I think it would certainly call their bluff on a number of issues proving how not you. pro-life they are. They would, they would absolutely vote against it. They would, they would get them on record for voting against it. They, yeah. they admit fully that, that a fetus is not a person. Yeah. And or even if even if they're stripping it, all the arguments that they would make against it in committee. And none be, of them want. Yeah, you're exactly gold. right. It would be gold. You're exactly right. I mean, look, if they really believe the fetus is a person, then they have to be on board for pregnancy being free for all Americans. Yes. It should be free. Childbirth all, should be free. Yes. Pregnancy should be free. Raising a baby should be free. If you're not supporting that, you don't get to tell women what to do. And even if you right. do support that, you don't get to tell women what to do. And could you imagine if life insurance, if you started by yeah. conception at, from the very first pregnancy, positive pregnancy test? I mean, myself, I lost five pregnancies between, oh my my God. Two, between my two children. Yep. And they'd make you a criminal for it. Mary, God bless you. Thank you so much for calling. Have a great evening. we got to hit a break. Uh, we'll be right back with more of your calls for the whole hour at 866-997-GRIT. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fugelstein. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. If you're going to be traveling this weekend, please, please check on your flights. More than 26,000 flights have been delayed since Monday. More than 6,000 have been canceled all outright. Thunderstorms have been messing up a lot of hubs, especially those in the New York City area. Reduced visibility from more Canadian wildfires and personnel have been hitting work hour limits. So apparently, it, Chris was telling me earlier today, it's it's air traffic controllers. They just don't have people to work. So they've been scrapping flights. Thousands of people have been stranded. They think it could be the busiest post-pandemic era travel weekend yet. Please be careful. And it's going to be hot. Look out for old folks. Look out for animals. We're at 866-997-4748. Let's talk to you guys. Marie in Atlanta. What a day. Welcome. Wow. You said a mouthful there. Thanks for taking my call, John. Thank you, um, Counselor. Not a surprise, right? Like you, no, no. I was not surprised. I was not, I was not surprised at all. Um, and for those um, in the listening audience who have never listen to a Supreme Court oral argument. Um, I encourage people to do that at least once in their lifetimes, um, Mm -hmm. preferably a case you actually care about, um, because what happens by the time you get to the court, you're no longer arguing about the, the about your client. You're arguing about the broader policy that's going to apply to people similarly situated as your client. Yes. And so what happens is the justices are asking questions, but those questions are not – the questions are more in the nature of I'm trying to get legal counsel to say something to prove to my other members of the bench the thing that I believe is the central problem or to, to the thing that I think is the solution. Right. Um, so in listening to the oral argument for this case, it was very clear what direction it was going to go. Um, and one of the things that tends to happen, by the way, is they'll ask the question and then another justice, when the attorney is responding to the first justice's question, another justice will jump in and say, but what about such and such? And it's it's from what I can see, because it's a very specific skill that I have myself never done, although I am mm-hmm. an admitted member of the Supreme Court bar. Uh-huh. Um I have seen it, and it's like being a cat toy with nine cats just swatting at you. Because you have to stop the response you were giving, and then you have to take the next, the justice who interrupted, you have to answer their question, and then another one interrupts. And so it's just, it's like being a cat toy. Uh, It looks like a miserable profession. Uh, But obviously it went well for somebody today. Um, uh, Yeah, obviously the the non-Asian students who brought the case. Let me ask, how, how, how noteworthy is it that both Clarence Thomas and Sonia Sotomayor wanted to read their opinions out loud? When they're reading their opinions out loud, it is in the nature of literally giving voice to what they mean. When you hear somebody, like if somebody reads you a story, you're yeah. hearing the inflection. You're hearing, I'm emphasizing this word over that word. Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff doesn't translate onto the page. Right. So yeah. I think that it is noteworthy. Um, I've, I've been up at the court when there have been opinions read out loud and they tend to be when the justice who's writing for the majority um, has some particular inflection point that they want to get across to the listening right, audience, of course. that they want to make yeah. sure gets reported. 
I thought it was interesting that they both wanted to do it today for this ruling. Well, it, it, it doesn't surprise me about Clarence Thomas. And the reason it doesn't surprise me is Clarence Thomas, God bless him, he is of the opinion that he has been damaged by yes. affirmative action. While, while acknowledging he, it's helped it, while acknowledging it's helped him. Look, don't forget that part. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes. He acknowledges that he has been the beneficiary of it, but he believes that ultimately it was to his detriment. And here's the problem that he doesn't understand, to put it in more modern parlance, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DE&I. Right. We've been talking about it more in this country, particularly since the murder of George Floyd and the yes. racial reckoning and all of what's been going on. Okay. But DE&I is nothing without the J, justice. Mm. So the fact that you have a diverse population, but they are not, they're not receiving equitable benefits, whether right. it's in salary or positions, you know, opportunities to advance, that's not justice, Right. And if you have equity, but you don't have inclusion, yeah, you're making all the same money, but you're not included. So, yeah. you know, we, mm-hmm. we still find some way to put you on the, the edges of whatever the benefits should be. That's not justice. When you what have the... all three. That... Yeah. I mean, what do you see happening now? I, I don't see Democrats fighting for this. I just don't see for an election year this being the issue they're going to hitch their wagons to. I think they're going to just say, well, colleges will find other ways to have a more diverse student body. And that this is going to be the last we hear of this for a while. Maybe I'm being uh, defeatist or negative about that. I don't think you're being defeatist. Um, what I what I know, it will not change. <laughs> it will not change the resolve of black and brown students, minorities who were um, otherwise able to get some consideration for yeah. their diverse status. Um, it's not going to change their resolve, it's not going to change their obligations because nobody ever acknowledges what comes with that. You're right. Um, I'll use myself as an example. I went to a top 10 law school. I'm not disclosing on air which one it was. Um, I may <laughs> Phoenix or may University. Not. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> they don't have DeVry. a law school. All right. Go, go on. <laughs> um, but I, I may or may not have been the beneficiary of um, some diversity initiative. No one ever told me that. Right. But you know what someone did tell me the night before my first class, my upperclassman minority student who was assigned to me, he was sort of like my my big sib, um, took me out to dinner, had a lovely chat. He went on to tell me, I know nothing about your educational background. I do not know if you were the beneficiary of any grace in admissions. So I Mm -hmm. know nothing about that. But he said, if you were, then understand that you carry with you an obligation for the person coming behind you not to waste this opportunity. You must be excellent because the next person coming behind you, when there's a chance to give them some grace and mercy, they will look at your performance and maybe make the decision to close the door on that person. And you don't have that right. These are things mediocre yeah. young white men have never been told by their dads. <laughs> Thank you. Just incredible. But my, my African-American upper-class mentor was letting me know in no uncertain terms that I had an even greater obligation to be the best possible. Yeah. And more important I, than that, the fact that someone is admitted 
with a consideration of, not exclusively, but a consideration of their race, does not absolve them of the obligation to successfully complete the course of study. Amen. I feel the same way about white people, too, by the way, because I'm tired of being embarrassed by my fellow Caucasians. Marie, thank you so, so much. You always class this joint up more than I deserve. It's really a pleasure to hear from you. you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. 866-997-4748. Let me go to Ken, who's been on hold forever in San Jose. Ken, thanks for your patience. Hello. Oh, my goodness. What a blessing to speak to you, man. Oh, what a blessing Um, to hear from you. What's up? Awesome, awesome, awesome uh, channel. Uh, Awesome program always and your staff everybody work with you thank um, you i'm very I lucky i work with very good people um, yeah man and further on what you were saying about this they started with roe then they went into the um lgb now mm. they're into the um uh african americans mm-hmm. they're coming after all of us and people need to get together as you know i work as a as a um, volunteer this last weekend i was working on signing up people educating people about the vote and then somebody you. came with a whole uh, five-gallon bucket of piss and threw on two of us. We always carry water so we can wash ourselves. But, Damn. you know, this has happened. I've also worked in 2020 um, in, in Atlanta. We got people donate and to help us to go and, and uh, canvas and work hard. I also did it in 22 uh, wow. in Atlanta. Thank you. But, um, Thank I mean, you. I, you know, we got that's where... Um, when you when you talk and when you have your show, when you explain to people, I wish people understand that this is not only an education, but it's also an enlightenment of what's going yes. on in our country. Yes. And it's, oh, yes. Uh, it really hurts me. It hurts me well, so much that people don't understand this. They want to get their but... damn latte and their, and their hamburger, um, John. I'm sorry to interrupt. I know, but that's but why I'm so. Time, but that's why I'm so glad men like you exist because there are plenty of people like you, and I want to hear your voice more because this is the inspiration I need. Because there are more of us than there are selfish, stupid, ignorant people. I have to believe yeah. that. I do believe the American people yeah. eventually, after a lot of screaming and fighting, slowly, gradually getting around to do the right thing. You know, uh, yeah, that's that's the point, man. Tomorrow, uh, this uh, Saturday, we're going to be in Calaveras Country, next to Tulare in California. And it's, um, I hate to say it, but it's some of the most ignorant people. We have to leave around 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and be there all day, <laughs> Saturday and Sunday. And, yeah. uh, um, you know, I uh, know. Uh, sleeping in a van. Because we that. want to take and tell people what the hell is going on, man. <laughs> These people are taking our rights away piece by piece. I know, and I, I it know. Kind of bothers me. And the guys of religion, they've understand. done it too. And the guys of religion, they've done it as well, stripping rights That's away. That's the shit. That's yeah. the shit, man. But look They'll at who their policies help. And, and, and talk shit. Sorry, I'm yep. Well, that's okay. Just look at how much better. Look at how much better it's gotten under Bidenomics, and how I mean, just it's so stark in every category, you know. Exactly. And Joe Biden's not even a liberal. Imagine if you had a real liberal president with real progressive Uh, policies. How much we could help working and poor people, and finally let the trickle down turn into a gush up. But honestly, Ken, it's it's guys like you doing what you're doing that inspires me so much. I want to say just one thing. I know you're very busy. I got to hit a break. Go ahead, Uh, please. Uh huh. So please. Um, uh, emphasize more than people 
get your damn voting. Go to your um, your registrar. Find out if you can go and get that information done now. Don't wait yes. until the last damn minute and prepare for this shit. We need Thank to you, take and show. And don't kneecap this damn president. Every time we Thank have a you. president that can help us, they kneecap it in the middle damn in the midterms. They're trying to I know. I believe listen, me, I, I plan on you, man. I plan on telling Cornell West that a lot for the next year. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure, Ken. We gotta go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugel saying keep it tuned to Sirius XM Progress. Peace. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.